From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shimam, and this is The Quarantini. We're bringing you this podcast every week to keep your spirits up and until the COVID crisis in the UK has ended. As with every week, today we'll bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. That will take the form of music. So to start with, a big thank you to Seb Gutierrez and the Old Bone Collective for opening music, Hot Flu. Hello and welcome back. Coming up in the show, I noticed, Melissa, that we have some more baby animals this week. You have brought them to our attention. Always a good sign of positive change. And we've got some surprising music this week uh, from the Golden Drakes. But now it's time for our interview. And COVID, as we know, has been a difficult time for many people. And according to recent figures from the Office of National Statistics, twice as many adults in the UK are reporting symptoms of depression now compared to this time last year. So we thought we'd find out a little bit more about this. And so I spoke to Shari McDade from the Mental Health Foundation, which is a national charity conducting research, proposing solutions, and it also campaigns for change to address the underlying causes of poor psychological well-being. Here she is. My name is Sherry McDade. I'm the senior policy manager in the Mental Health Foundation. And that means that my role involves um, pulling together evidence and policy recommendations uh, for government and then bringing those recommendations to government in various forms, sometimes in committee meetings and sometimes for public consultations. Now, I know that your organisation has been studying the impact of COVID on our mental health. Can you tell us a little bit about what you found so far? Yes. I mean, I think what we've really seen is that overall, most people have been able to cope with the pandemic um, and the stress of the pandemic Um even though they might have felt anxious or um, lonely at times, or you know, for some people actually felt levels of panic um, or concern, hopelessness. Um, most people overall say they're coping fairly well. Um, and about half of, of the population, uh, of adult population, uh, said uh, towards the end of June that uh, they were feeling anxious. So that means about half are not feeling anxious. Um, so that's very positive. But what we have also seen is that some people are coping better than others and that the, the effects of the pandemic are not uniform, you know, we're kind of all in it together, but we're not all in the same boat, even though we're all in the same, going through the same storm. And uh, some groups have really told us that uh, there there are more uh, people in that group that are experiencing difficulties in terms of stress and coping. Um, For instance, young adults age 18 to 24, we, we see that they are more likely to be saying they're feeling hopeless, which is a concern. Um, they're more likely to say they're feeling lonely or that they're not coping well. 
similarly, we've seen that people who had a mental health condition coming into the pandemic are much more likely to say that they're struggling during the course of the pandemic. Um, single parents, uh, a particular single parents of, of young children were really struggling during lockdown. Uh, and uh, similarly to um, people who had a pre-existing mental health condition, in general, people who have some kind of long-term health condition have found it a little more difficult to cope uh, than the those without a, a pre-existing health condition. So that gives you a flavor of who's coping and how well people are coping overall with the stress of the pandemic. And this study, just to explain, is a UK-wide study, and it's a representative sample of adults. So it gives us a fairly reliable picture of how the population as a whole is, uh, is feeling in terms of their emotions during the course of the pandemic. Do you think more people have come to the notice of mental health services because of the pandemic? Well, there's been a, a, a there was a, a decrease in demand for mental health services at some point during lockdown, and the the sense that we've gotten in the foundation is that some people might have felt that the services weren't as available to them during lockdown um, uh, as they would normally be. And some people may have been hesitant and may continue to be hesitant to go forward into a, a health service setting for fear of, of catching the virus. Uh, but that seems to have uh, changed. And as restrictions have lifted, more people are coming to the attention of the mental health services so that now demand is getting back to closer to normal. Now, you mentioned that young people have suffered in particular. So what do you think needs to happen for them now? Well, in terms of the type of concerns that young people have expressed, two that come to the fore are um, the loneliness that they've said they've experienced and hopelessness. And so that gives us pointers to the kinds of measures that need to be put in place for them. Firstly, that um, the restoration of the settings which they would normally be in, where they would be connected with people, so schools, um, workplaces for young adults who are in work, um, that this is really going to be important, not only for their, for instance, for their educational attainment and to make sure that their education continues, but also because those are settings in which they they connect with people, they learn, they, they maintain their social connections. Um, and then in terms of employment is also a really key issue for young adults in that they need reassurance that there will be opportunities for them in the future in order to address that sense of hopelessness. Uh, so I think there's a lot that the government can do 
both in its messaging in terms of reassuring young people that they are a priority and that their uh, opportunities are a priority for government, and also in substance in ensuring that there are programs in place that support young people's mental health in the educational setting and also in, in, if they are uh, in, in employ, unemployment, if they're facing unemployment, that there's good um, so mental health supports available to them. Now, historically, mental health services have been underfunded. Do you think this is because the government doesn't recognise the need to fund mental health services as much as physical health services? Well, I think that history is long running. It comes from a tradition where mental health was perhaps stigmatized um, as as a whole phenomenon. People people just didn't want to talk about mental health, and when things are invisible, it's easy to neglect them. I think that's changing now. And the foundation's own Mental Health Awareness Week, which takes place every year in May, is one part of changing the conversation to make mental health more visible and more an ordinary part of our lives. So I think that the the, the environment in which the government is making its decisions is changing, and people are more and more expressing that mental health is is important to them. And we can hear in some of the messaging recently from the government as well that they are they, they are acknowledging that this uh, mental health difficulties are an important consideration in their decisions about the pandemic. So I, I think that the, there's opportunities there for the government to demonstrate that now. And our concern would mostly be around the fact that uh, the balance of funding has been towards the services side, maybe at the expense of the prevention side, and that very, very little funding goes into programs to prevent people getting mental health difficulties. And we, we think that there's certainly scope to redress that balance and particularly to support uh, local government in its responsibilities of uh, of uh, educating people around how to look after their mental health. So what kinds of things can we do to look after our mental health? Well, you know, there are some very good practical steps that each of us can take and also that we can um, offer to other people. So, for example, staying connected with friends and family uh, are very helpful for supporting one's mental health. So making those efforts to stay connected in this time when maybe it does take a little more effort than normal to to, to reach out to people is, is very helpful. And also looking after our physical health um, when we're in good physical health, that's a positive basis for our mental health. So making sure we're getting enough exercise, that we're eating well, uh, that we're not taking uh, too much in terms of uh, alcohol, that we're getting enough sleep. All of those things are a really positive support for our mental health. And then Things like uh, learning, continuing to learn or engaging in a hobby that you enjoy, uh, 
volunteering, helping others is a really positive way. It doesn't have to be formal volunteering. Anything that you do in the course of a day that you find might be helpful to someone else, whether it's a family member or a neighbor or someone you come across during the day, all of these things can be positive for our sense of well-being and our our sense of our, our mental health. And there's a lot coming out at the moment about the importance of getting out into nature. Do you think that's right? Do you think that really helps? It's certainly the evidence is accumulating more and more that spending time in green spaces is very, it can can boost your mood. So yes, I think that that, uh, where people have access to green spaces, uh, it's it's a good step to take to take some time out and go for a walk in in a local park, uh, any place that has a little bit of greenery, uh, even if there's some area that has a few trees, this can be helpful and beneficial. And finally, if somebody is worried out there about their own mental health or maybe a friend or a relative, what, what's the first thing they need to do? Well, if they're seriously concerned about a a friend who they think might be struggling with their mental health, the first thing really is to be available to listen to them. And secondly, to be ready to encourage them to reach out for help, knowing that it is available, that if they talk to their GP or uh, go to very good resources that are available online. Uh, The Mental Health Foundation has good resources specifically, for instance, around COVID-19 on our website. There's a special area for COVID-19 resources. And you can use, you can refer people to those um, and refer them if, if you're really seriously concerned. Suggest that they talk to their GP because there are good supports that the GP can refer to them to. Shari, thank you so much for talking to us today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks there to Shari McDade, Policy Officer for the Mental Health Foundation. And it's now time for our weekly roundup. Yeah, and you know, Pumi, if we start here in Bristol, I read some good news. We were talking about mental health, but apparently, according to a survey led by the University of Bristol, teenagers' anxiety levels have dropped during the pandemic. And the survey included a thousand people from 13 to 14 years old in the southwest and it found that they reported an anxiety level were lower during the lockdown than at the same time the previous year and Dr Judy Kicker from the University of Bristol said our finding raised questions about the role of school environment in explaining rises in mental health difficulty among teenagers in recent years so I mean, I guess it's a half good news in a way. If teenagers are less anxious, it's probably because they are less dealing with school environment. But I mean, I guess the good, the good part is that they, they found a bit of peace during the lockdown. Hopefully that's going to help them with this new year starting now. Now, 600 books were published last week after the publishing industry began to wake up after COVID. And here in our city, Bristol Libraries and the Street Art Festival Upfest have launched a campaign to spark a conversation about reading. They are asking Bristol book lovers for their favourite lockdown reads and then these will be included on a 12-foot public art sculpture of an owl. It's all about animals this week. 
The sculptor is a man called Tom Haben, and he will etch inscriptions from the books onto his sculpture. And it's going to be installed outside my own local library, Fishbond's Library. How about that? So if you want to take part, you need to send a photo of the cover of your chosen book and include your favourite passage via Twitter or Instagram using hashtag Bristol Reads. And don't forget to tag Upfest and the author of the book. Another good news UK-wide is a new study showing that a four-day working week could be responsible for the creation of 500,000 new jobs in the UK. Obviously, everybody's worried at the moment on how to keep people working and earning an income. So this research comes from the progressive think tank called Autonomy, and they say that the measure could mitigate unemployment during this recession coming up. A four-day week in the public sector, at least, would create up to half a million new jobs, as we said, and help limit the rise of unemployment, according to autonomy still. And the think tank added that the time was right for the government to pioneer a short working week, so that obviously more people would get work and less stressful hours. The autonomy study represents the first attempt to quantify the job impact of a four-day week and it proves that it would be possible for public sector workers to go on to a 30-hour week with no loss of pay and the whole scheme would cost about 5.4 billion up to 9 billion a year which makes it quite possible. Sounds like a good idea to me. Four days weeks it's all good for our mental health anyway isn't it to work a yeah, bit less? It's good in every way, I find, to, and especially on a social level, community level, that more people get work that is sustainable. Now, Melissa, moving further south, down to the continent of Africa, there's something about new babies down there? Exactly. So, you know what? I love um, this country of Uganda. We mentioned it in the first episode. I think it was with the, the music of Bobby Wine and more good news from Uganda. They reported a gorilla baby boom. Actually, what happened is that while nobody was looking due to the coronavirus lockdowns, the mountain gorillas in this East African country have been breeding in unprecedented numbers. The people working in the conservation centres in this region of the Forest National Park say that seven infants have been born there so far just this year and it's more than the double of the number of um, 2019. This flourish of deliveries is unprecedented, the Wildlife Authority said to the Times. And just to let you know, mountain gorillas are only found in three countries nowadays, Uganda, Rwanda and the Demo Democratic Republic of the Congo. And so they have been subject to prolonged conservation efforts because the great apes now are critically endangered. So that's a fantastic news. That is fantastic news. And moving further south to Namibia, this is the first country in Africa to train dogs to sniff out COVID-19. Now, apparently humans infected with the virus smell differently to other people. Well, we know this around cancer as well, don't we, and dogs? And the University of Namibia's School of Veterinary Medicine is training in particular beagles and German shepherds as they are the best sniffers. According to Conrad Brain, who is a physiology and epidemiology lecturer at the university, 
Dogs have been proven to be 95% accurate at detecting people who are COVID-19 positive and negative. And he's working closely with Finnish and French vet schools. And the plan is to use dogs at airports and other ports of entry, which will make it much easier to travel to those particular countries. Hmm, interesting move. Who would have thought? Any more stories about wildlife, Melissa? Yeah, I was about to say. Can I just add that um, in the past three months in uh, California and Yellow Centralist, 13 new mountain lions were born. 13 new babies. So it happened that is three times more than the last records that was probably years ago. And over there, all the wildlife biologists said it was like not surely completely related to the lockdown but you know it did happen during that period so the proliferation of such what wildcat kittens is quite exceptional as well so you know you should see their photos if i were you just go and look at them because they just look amazing so just more wildlife coming back and, and booming is always good news to me and now if that's not exciting enough for you we've got some music Today, the musical project that I wanted to mention is uh, led by the enigmatic Benjamin Woods, and it's called Golden Drakes. He's got this baritone voice. He's currently based in South London, and his project has evolved from a one-man karaoke show to a full band with a rotating cast of friends and musicians. He released his debut LP in 2018 called Lafayette, And more recently, a single could nobody ever got rich bracket by making people sad, which I think is a, is a lovely title. And now he's got a new album called Hope is for the Hopeless that has been released a year ago. So this is the song that we have for you today. Golden Drakes has been compared to the likes of Lou Reed, Tom Waits and Tinder Sticks for creating his own special worlds. And the song is called Clarksdale MS.
Claxtone MS by the Golden Drakes from his album Hope is for the Hopeless and thank you very very much to Fennel Music their management supporting great young developing artists for letting us playing so many of their tracks That's it for the quarantine this week we'll be back next week with a new cocktail of ideas music and positive news for you all in the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you so you can get hold of us by emailing us at thequarantinepodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shemam. And was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thank you for listening. And stay safe.